0: Welcome to Never Just a Dog, I'm your host John Littlefair, and in this episode I'm joined by former Port Authority Police Department Officer David Lim. On the morning of 9-11, David and his partner, a four-year-old Labrador retriever called Sirius, were in the basement of the South Tower when Flight 11 struck the North Tower. Securing Sirius in his kennel, David went to investigate what had happened, telling his partner, I'll be back for you. That was the last time he'd see Sirius alive. This is his story. When did you become a police officer? Did you join the Port Authority straight away or were you in another division somewhere before that
1: oh no I joined the Port Authority uh, in 1980 back in the mid 70s I was taking exams for multiple police departments that's kinda how it works around here you know you don't take one test and go to a different department you have to take tests for each department that you want to go to ie there's a test for the NYPD there's a test for the New York State uh, police or troopers, and there's the Port Authority. There's even a test for court officers that I took. And um, back that was back in 79, so I was called in 1980, and I accepted the Port Authority police job after I had um, turned down a, a few other jobs. Did
0: you go straight to the K-9 division, or did you work in another division within the Port Authority
1: before that? Okay. But it's basically sort of like uh, any kind of unionized job. You start at the bottom. So you start as a patrol officer. Uh, You do all the, you know, the the hard work, if you would, you know, working traffic spots, uh, things that senior men don't do. And you're also not granted the privileges to apply for Specialized units such as canine, emergency services, or, or we got the uh, marine patrol, you know, all these things that only senior people get through a, a bidding process. So I didn't get uh, canine until I was in my 16th year as a police officer.
0: You had to work your way through.
1: Well, we call it, the other side of that is that they didn't offer it until my 16th year because we had an incident here that was uh, known as uh, flight 800 say it was a a plane that went out down in Long Island and they initially thought that that plane was brought down by terrorism so at that point they decided to initiate a program of explosive detector dogs at uh, our three airports which are JFK uh, LaGuardia and Newark International which is in New Jersey as a result of that uh, they decided to send uh, a few of us down to lackland air force base in uh, texas and um, i was fortunate enough because i had the seniority to go and i qualified they had you had to do a physical agility test and such and it was a whole process uh, interviews and so and uh, that's how i got in back in uh, 1997
0: was that the new formulated K-9 unit within the Port Authority Police Department?
1: Yes, it was uh, formulated, you know, I believe, well, then I guess officially in 1997. And uh, we started out, you know, just working at the airport, being that it was a program run by the then Federal Aviation Administration. Now we refer to it as the TSA. But before it was just the, the FAA, and uh, they there was no real law enforcement branch they actually the program we were in is actually a military program uh they tr- uh, lackland air force base trains the uh, canines for every branch of the service regardless even though it's an air force base they train for the army they train for the uh air uh, for the air force of course the navy uh marines and so forth but they just since they were in in part of this plan they were now training police officers and I was part of that first group of uh, civilians to be trained at, uh, at a military Air Force base. So technically, I was assigned temporary duty in the military. So I could actually say I did three months in the military. Wow.
0: <laughs> Beautiful.
1: <laughs> which, which answers maybe another question. That's how long the training take, takes, three months.
0: Meeting Sirius, was that when you first met that very special dog?
1: I had My first dog was Lena. Uh, She was an explosive detector dog that I got out of Lackland Air Force Base back in 97. And I trained with her again three months and uh, brought her home, you know, back to New York. And uh, worked with her until uh, 2000. And then she had to retire. Even though she was young, she had developed arthritis in her rear legs. And there's a lot of um, going up and down for the dog, so she couldn't handle that anymore. So part of the program is that if a dog retires because of injury, the handler of record, which was me at the time, has first right of adoption, which in all reality, of course, I'm going to exercise because my kids would have killed me if I didn't (laughs) adopt her. Because going back a little bit, part of our program with the canine is that they go home with us after work. Some programs have uh, a kennel master and you leave the dogs at work. Our program, you bring them home, become part, they become part of your family. So I adopted Lena, and then I was given the option to either A, go back to Texas to train another dog, or B, join a newly formed locally trained unit that in the, within the Port Authority and have the ability to go to other places, i.e. the World Trade Center. As one of the places, I mean, we have uh, 13 different commands. But my goal was to return to the trade center because I had spent my first, mostly 16 years there. So I had all my friends there. I knew, I knew the area. You know, I wanted to go back. So I decided to go with that program. And then, um, because in that program, you basically do the same thing—about three months of training. Except the difference is, you get to—I would say—pick out your dog, but you're, you're there in part of the process of getting a dog. Where in the military, they just give you the dog and you got it. There's no option. Sure. The story with Sirius was that we actually were out checking out other dogs, other breeders that, that have dogs that are specific for this type of work. And he was actually being tested as a hunting dog. And he was about 100 yards away from us. And while he was doing that, they had uh, threw a, a, a bird into the water, and Sirius refused to go in the water. <laughs> so basically, he failed the hunting aspect of it. So they said, well, would you like to try him out for an explosive detector dog? And uh, they said, well, we'll give him a shot. The hard part is that being he was trained for hunting, hunting dogs are trained by sight. Right? Bomb dogs and drug dogs are trained by odor, smell. You know, so uh, we we got him. First, got him. We had to break him out of uh, a few habits, but um, he qualified. And to make a long story short, you know, three months later, we called, uh, We graduated, and and um, we were assigned to the World Trade Center.
0: And Cirrus is a Labrador.
1: A yellow Labrador retriever. Uh, To be technical, he's actually a British lab. The parlance is that the British labs have the the big blocky heads, and the American labs have the thinner heads. And Sirius filed the water test. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: As a Labrador.
1: Yes, exactly. You know, so he wasn't going to be a good hunting dog, so he became an excellent bomb uh, detector dog instead.
0: The Port Authority, and your division of the Port Authority, was assigned to the World Trade Center.
1: Yes. Uh, The Port Authority itself is a bi-state agency that mostly deals in uh, public transportation, such as, as I said, the airports. Uh, We have uh, two tunnels that go between New York and New Jersey. And that's basically how the Port Authority was formed, because... They needed an agency that could cover both sides of the river and not have those conflicts that we have between states as far as jurisdictional issues, and so they created the Port Authority just specifically for that. Of course we grew from that to the the Port Authority bus terminal, which is obviously transportation, the PATH trains that go between New York and New Jersey, uh, the George Washington Bridge, that's our biggest bridge that's up uh, north in New York, and uh, a few other commands, but about thirteen commands in whole. The trade center came about because they were looking for somebody to build the trade center, and the port authority, I guess. Make a long story short, they had enough money and will to do it, and they, they became the landlords and builders of the uh, World Trade Center, which meant that the port authority police would patrol it, you know, okay. because of the fact that the port authority built it. Cyrus and I were assigned to the, to the World Trade Center for. A, a multitude of reasons uh, not the least of course is checking unattended packages that were left around people the left vehicles parked on the curb unattended which normally in uh, before 1993 would just be a parking ticket and a tow but now the tow truck drivers want to make sure there's no bomb inside before they tow it away because after what happened uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Oklahoma yes uh, not, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, they were, after that they were like, and they, they had parked the truck there. So and the other 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 things we dealt with were we have tons of trucks that come into the World Trade Center through a truck dock underneath the buildings, and our job and uh, we call it, was to check those trucks when they came in. Now to be perfectly honest, we had other dog teams there too. You know, I couldn't do every, all this by myself, but on this particular day, I was the only dog team working. So, also part of our job was if a VIP would come into our um buildings, my job would and serious job would be to clear those areas to make sure there were no explosives in those particular conference rooms or wherever the VIP was. And we've had presidents, heads of states and so forth come in. We got uh, I got to meet President Clinton back in 2000 um president clinton and uh his wife hillary were had moved to new york in order for hillary to establish a new york residence before she ran for senate so she he would come in and uh my job would be to with the help of the secret service clear the heliport because he would come into kennedy airport then take a helicopter to my heliport and then take a car up to chappaqua where he currently resides So this was a regular weekly thing, and it was, you know, not a bad detail. One day, we called, uh, he takes his time, he doesn't come out immediately, so I didn't know this, so I walked around the corner, and there he was. The Secret Service, of course, pushes me aside, and President Clinton says, no, 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 don't do that, I want to pet his dog. So I said, okay. He starts petting my dog so of course i don't want to stand above the president so i go down to his level and that's where the picture was taken obviously we had a a nice little discussion about dogs and dog training he wants some help training with his dog i says well you have to spend time with us i'll have plenty of time in january i'm out (laughs) so (laughs) so like a long story short he moved on and i eventually got the picture uh from the, the the white from the white house staff photographer Fast forward to post 9-11, people are now asking me for pictures of Cirrus. So my wife, Diane, takes the picture out of the frame that I had. Obviously, I framed it, you know, and she turns it over to scan it. And on the back of the picture, she goes, Dave, look at this. It says, White House staff photographer, September 11, 2000. One year to the day that picture was taken, Cyrus was killed. Oh, what are the chances
0: what are the chances mate?
1: so then in the uh, future we call he uh, I, we I, I met the president he was coming back actually he was coming back from England and uh, he, he was visiting um, Chelsea she was in school there and uh, he autographed that picture uh, for me when I told him the, about the dates even he, he was very surprised he rem- actually remembered what he call uh uh, taking that picture, and, you know, it, the Presidents meet a lot of people, you know. Sure. So that's the story behind that. September eleventh, two thousand, that picture was taken.
0: That's incredible. Well, yeah. you can
1: visualize. I was there, and let me tell you, it was it was one of my uh, more interesting uh, uh, meetings with the president. So anyway, my day at the World Trade Center it started out like most days. You know, it was a it was a beautiful day actually. You know, it was a Tuesday. I was already thinking about what I was going to do after work, and a lot of times I would take Sirius to a park by where I live, because like I said, they all come home with us. You know, I had a plan, you know, my plan was that I would work with Sirius until he retired and then I would retire. So I figured I had at least another three or four years before I even could consider it. You know, I had a nice situation where I worked at a trade center, I had my own office, I had my own kennel for Sirius. And, um, you know, everything, everything was great. I, I went to get my breakfast, uh, over by, uh, Five World Trade Center, right near the, uh, they used, I think there's, they called it the Miracle Stairs, where everybody escaped. It's in the, actually in the museum. I actually used those stairs. And then, um, I brought my breakfast back to the, uh, my office, which is on the, uh, the B1 level of number two World Trade Center. As you know, we have two buildings there. That would be considered the South Tower for future reference in this conversation. So we're in the building and um, what we call it uh, um, um, sitting there having my breakfast and Sirius is having his. And all of a sudden I feel the building shake. And I'm sitting there going, what in the heck was that? And the radio transmission goes off. An explosion had occurred on the upper levels of One World Trade Center or the North Tower. So you remember now, I'm in the basement of the South Tower and I felt it. So then I tell Sirius what he called, You stay right here and I'll be back for you. He's a bomb dog, not a search and rescue dog. And um, I said, I'll be back and wants to help the people. And I left him in his kennel. And that was the last time I saw him alive. So then I run over to. The other building via the basement, through the basement, which is actually quicker, and I get up to the concourse level. As I'm as I'm going up, I realize we called at first. I had thought that a package had blown up upstairs, something that I had missed, you know, or Sirius had missed. But it turns out it was an airplane. So then, even then, I thought, well, you know, small planes can actually hit like the world, like the Empire State Building, you know, back in the early days of the 50s, I believe. So I was concerned, but I wasn't that concerned. So I get in, I start going upstairs, I get to the second floor, and I'm helping people come down the stairs. Right? And all of a sudden, I hear a woman scream, and I look behind me, and somebody had just fallen from the upper level, or jumped from the upper levels, and landed on the plaza of the World Trade Center. Now, I have seen some pretty bad things up to then but this was this was pretty bad and I went to do what a police officer does is try to help so I, I looked out and I saw that the person was obviously you know beyond help but I had to call it in so I'm formulating the words to say on my radio and as I'm doing that another body falls and I'm like my god Things are so bad now that people are either jumping or falling out of the building. So one way or another, I, I got to get upstairs. So I go into the stairwell, and as I'm going up, you know, the people are all jammed in there, and I go, okay, everybody, stay to your right. So the emergency services, we have to go up the right, or else, you know, there's no way we can get through. People, as I'm going up, they're concerned now, they're saying, well, why are you going up if we're going down? He says, I have to go up to help more people. You just stay to the right and go down. Down is good. And that actually became my tagline. You know, Dag, down is good, just because I was running out of breath telling everybody. And then as I got further up, I started seeing some people come down that were injured. So at that point, I probably could have took one person down that was injured. But instead, I assigned the injured people to the healthy people. I said, listen... You're responsible for this person. Take them down to the triage area that's downstairs. And they did. I mean, I assume they did, you know. And uh, I just kept on going up. One person had a flashlight on him. I took that from him. I said, you're not going to need that. It's light down there. I'm going to need it going up. I get up to somewhere in the 20s, and there's a man in a wheelchair with his friend. And they're waiting for uh, an opportunity to go down because they can't take the elevator. You never take elevators when you're in an emergency because you get stuck in one of those. Which is actually leads to the reason I, ca- I was going up. My goal was to go get to the 44th floor where the Sky Lobby elevators are. And they're the want to get you from 44 straight down to 1. It's the quickest way, but it's the most dangerous. And uh, my job would be to shut down those elevators before the people can actually get on them. So anyway, I stopped to help this, this gentleman. And... Uh, while I'm on the floor, the fire department comes out, and, uh, FDNY, of another stairwell, the B stairwell. If I didn't mention it before, I was in the C stairwell. And it turned out, we called, uh, as they came out, uh, the, the fire captain there said they would take care of the, the two gentlemen. So then I, after calling my wife on, the, on one of the phones in the office... You know because obviously she was concerned I went up that B staircase which in effect saved my life I end up getting finally getting up to the 44th floor on the way helping as many people as I can and literally I get up there and the other building collapses and uh, because I'm up there as and I'll never forget this I fell on my my backside I get up and I'm like wait a minute the other building got hit Second, in other words, two World Trade Center was hit after one World Trade Center but collapsed first, which means that we were now probably in danger of collapse. So then I just grabbed all the people that were left up there, you know, I said, okay, everybody, let's go. We have to go now, right? Because the people who stayed behind, they were, you know, some were, as I said, physically challenged, There were somewhere elderly, you know. Either way, they, were, they all had their own reasons for staying behind. I said, no, no more. We have to go. And I made sure that all these people were in front of me. I would not... People asked me, why did you take you so long? And I was like, because I would not let anybody behind me. If I did, then I would never forget that face as long as I lived. I couldn't do that. So I get, I, get, I get them down. to. I start moving down. I remember as we were going down... We we're starting to lose power. Back in 93 with the, with the first explosion, they painted the stairs with some kind of special paint, in case the lights went out. I remember it was like flickering, like a like a freaky disco. You know, the light, the stairs would light up and and so forth, and I just kept on saying, please stay on a little longer, these people will panic if there's no lights. And we kept on going down, get down, all the way down to the uh back to the, in the 23rd floor and i saw the empty wheelchair so i know that person was taken care of that i had left behind and so that that made me feel good until i found out later that he he didn't make it but anyway as we're going down i ran into my chief chief romito and lieutenant siri and a few other people uh, from my job and they were helping this man by making a stretcher out of a, um, you know, we call them a soda push carts. It's a cart where you put cases of soda on. They were making a stretcher out of and using uh, a fire hose to, uh, to tie them down. I said, we don't have time for this. I, sh- I told the chief that the other building had collapsed. And back then, I don't know if you remember, but they had those, um, I called them super beepers. This is before the cell phones were really popular. So it, like, sends out a blast to everybody. And he looked at his, his beeper and he says, oh, my God. Because, so I remember we called the chief and uh, the lieutenant. We could grab this person by one arm, one, ar- one under each arm, and started dragging him down. And uh, Captain Mazza, one of my captains, was was there also. So as we go down, we get down to the fifth floor, and that's where I saw Josephine Harris. This woman was sitting on the steps, so I stopped to help her and basically mimicking my chief and my lieutenant i tried to put an arm on the one shoulder and the fire department came off the fifth floor and he says we're trying to find a chair for her i said well the fifth floor is a mechanical equipment room it's no there's no offices in there he says we have to just take her down so billy butler a firefighter he grabbed the other side we started going down i remember captain mazza yelling up to me going dave leave her with the firemen come out with us I says, I already got her, boss. I'm right behind you. So what, it was obviously another life-saving decision because then when they exited, we called, and I was on the, now, between the fourth and the fifth floor, the building started to collapse. And people asked me, what did that sound like? I said, the best way to describe it would be an on-rushing locomotive in the middle of a hurricane because as the floors were coming down, was pancaking, pushing the air through the building. One of the firefighters actually flew over our heads as I covered up Josephine, and uh, yeah, that was um, that was pretty scary. And I remember as the building was collapsing, we called. I just kept on saying to myself, "I hope you know my family thinks well of me, and we called, uh, and they can carry on without me." It's, it was a, a weird a weird sensation. Time seemed to, to, at the same time, be slow and fast. At the same time, I don't know how to describe it. But, you know, one of the things that occurred to me after the fact was that there was so many piles of firemen that, that were found and police officers. Because it's our first instinct that when we have a civilian is to cover them up. that's probably what happened so anyway we as after the building fell I'm laying there and I was having a surreal moment because all of a sudden I coughed and I realized dead men don't cough I'm still alive which in itself was good but then all of a sudden the thought hit me I'm under 110 stories of building here or actually 105 I said now what so I got up Josephine was okay Billy was okay most of us in the stairwell, outside of, I would say, relatively minor injuries, considering a building just collapsed on us, were, were in pretty good shape, and we started working on trying to get out of there. So being that I was the only person in that, bu- in that stairwell that actually knew the building, because the firefighters had come from different commands throughout the city, right, they were depending on me to give them direction. And we tried to go out the doors, but the debris was obviously banged up against the doors, and it couldn't open. And there were people below us that were trapped, and that was that was very sad, because we could hear them. And um, we kept on working at it, and eventually, we called. Uh, first, I, I was able to get my cell phone. I had two of them, a work phone, and I had a uh, personal phone. And um, I got one, one of them to work so I was able to call my wife uh, this was difficult because I wanted to give her hope that I would be coming home but at the same time the reality was seemed a lot dimmer so I made the conversation as as, as well as I could then I told her that listen I have to give the phone to these other guys they have to call home too they don't have phones and she's first she balked, then she understood because she said, And as soon as you do finish, you come, you call me right back. Okay, so I passed the phone around. People called, and we have an expression you know, whatever happened in the stairwell stays in the stairwell. Everybody had a, their own conversation, and nobody I don't remember what the other person said. You know, it's just that's you, you make fast friends this way, I guess. So then, once that was done, we called. We started working our way to try to get out. Uh, Captain Jonas was in charge of the firemen, and we worked together. And finally, we dug our way up. As we were digging up, I saw a light, and I thought that light was on uh, the next floor where they had electricity. It turned out it was the sun, and that we were on top of what was left of the World Trade Center. Picture, if you would, a table and overs- uh, with a, 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 a salt shaker on it. And now you're sitting on top of that soul shaker and the debris field is all around you. That's how lucky we were. They actually had, uh, I think it was USA Today, they ran an engineer's test on both buildings to determine why we survived. And they figured it out that being that there was open space from 1 to 9, that there was room enough for the building to collapse around us. But the only thing against that argument was in the other building, it was totally collapsed. So if I was in the same place in the other building, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So now we finally get out. Ladder Company 43 comes and they throw us ropes and ladders. We get Josephine uh, into a Stokes basket, and she was a trooper. She's, she passed away in 11, but she was a trooper at the time and we got her down and then we had to make our way or out of the debris field as we're going through the debris field we called i I hear what sounds like pops and bangs like like gunfire i was like what in the world is that then i realized the u.s customs house is uh, right next to our buildings and they have a um an ammo dump there and some of the ammo must have been going off so we changed Our location and started going out towards West Street. We ended up exiting there, and it was kind of surreal again because everybody was nice and clean. Now, just so you know, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon by now. They had already changed out all the other people. They sent them to the hospital or sent them home, and everybody was looked like was uh, like just like like a regular new brand new turnout. So we were taken to the ambulances, and they looked us over. I was—I had some minor injuries, but I was still ambulatory, so I was—I wanted to go back in the building and get serious. They said, well, you know, maybe you should go to the hospital. I said, no, I'm not going to leave without my partner. If I survived, then he could have survived. So I go back, and I try to get back into the building. I remember there was a row of firemen there, and they were like, well, you can't go in here, because the Seven World Trade, which is right above the truck dock was on fire I says well I don't care my partner's in there I says, oh really he says yeah my dog he says you're gonna go back for a dog I said yeah get out of my way yeah well you know I guess you know some people just don't get it so anyway I go down there and as I'm trying to get through the debris to get down to my office the uh the Port Authority police came by and they grabbed me and they uh put me in the car and they brought me to the command post they had built a little further down at one of the colleges. And while I was there, they were, you know, exam, uh, examining me and getting ready to send me to the hospital. And uh, I told the other canine guys, I said, listen, Sirius is still in his kennel. You're the only guys that that are going to care about that. You got to go get him." And they promised me that they would. They would do that. So I, I went to the hospital and uh, while I was there, we called. Uh, they examined me. There was, I, I remember there was uh, not a lot of people in this hospital, and but it, it, the the care that I received was it was unbelievable. I I got up into a room and they had uh, a couple of canine guys actually drove my family from. Uh, I'm sorry, I live in Long Island, which is about I'd say maybe an hour from the the hospital, but they drove them there and. Uh, we called. They came out to the hospital room, and, you know, obviously it was a, a joyous reunion. And uh, I remember my son asking me, uh, Michael, he says, we're serious. And I said, well, it says, they're going to go get him. And one of the canine guys took me to the side. He goes, we can't get down there right now. We, we tried. You know, that area's all blocked off with fire and debris. There's no way we can get down there. I says, "All right, we, we'll we'll get there eventually. If I survive, there's a good chance that Siri survive." And you know, I hate to say this, but my son held on to that hope. And I finally I said, "Okay," I says, "I want to go home." He says, "Well, the doctor says, well, you'll have to sign yourself out because uh, we're not gonna release you." And he says, well, there's Other people gonna come?" And He goes, and he, and my son looks out the window, and goes, "Dad," he goes. There's nobody down there what had happened was there was very little middle ground either you were killed or you were spared there was there were injuries and a lot of them went to maybe some of the closer hospitals but it was it was so devastating that it was basically instantaneous death i guess so we finally we was allowed to go home and uh, they obviously took us home i didn't have a car anymore my car was in the in the trade center actually lost my personal vehicle, and I lost my police vehicle that day. But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, obviously. So, I get home, and the only uh, orders the doctor had was, uh, he says, your husband has a concussion. Try not to let him sleep if he does, but not for too long. And trust me, I didn't sleep a wink. You know, I didn't need any encouragement. I was just keep waiting while I was watching TV to see them to either take out more guys like me, and and maybe my dog at the same time, and as the night went on, I think the only the other two people they got out was John McLaughlin and Will Hermano, the the two Port Authority police officers that they made the movie World Trade Center by Oliver Stone, that uh, recovered, and uh, and very few um, uh, afterwards it was and that was basically it, and um, it wasn't until. I would say about a week later, that I had to actually sit down with my kids and tell them that, you know, Sirius didn't make it, you know, and obviously we all were very sad about that. So that's basically the story about what happened to me on that day.
0: When was Sirius retrieved from the site?
1: Okay, now, you have to know that, first of all, that Sirius was the only creature down there that I knew exactly was. Nobody knew where anybody was when the building collapsed except me because I knew where Cyrus was in the office. Everybody else could have been anywhere in the building. So the area that he was in, they actually built a road over it, and that was part of the, I'll call it deconstruction detail, you know, demolition, if you would. So I would actually see that area on TV all the time, and I knew eventually they'd get to it. I just didn't know when. So now it's February of uh, 2002, and I get a phone call. Um, right now I'm at the, the Port Newer Canine Center. I'm training uh, a new dog, Sprig, which was donated to me from Novato, California, as part of a uh, goodwill gesture from the people of America, and I always appreciated that. There was a lot of goodwill that came our way that back then, but we actually had an airplane hangar full of dog food, dog biscuits, dog toys, dog booties that people would send from around the world, probably Australia too. People were sending because we had the search and rescue dogs there, and then people were seeing them walking across you know, the beams and stuff, and they would send booties, they'd send food, they'd send dog medicine, they would send everything. You know, we gave the majority of it to uh, rescues, of course. You know, we couldn't we couldn't possibly uh, eat all that food. I mean, the dogs couldn't. So in the meantime, I did have Sprig, and I was training him. And the phone call came over, and the question was, Dave, did you lend your shirt to somebody? And I said, well, no. Why would I ever lend my shirt? Because our, our shirts have our names on them says, well, we found somebody's body, but he's wearing your shirt. says, I have no idea. As it turned out, it was serious. All was left was bone and hair, and they thought it was blonde hair or what have you. And what had happened is my shirt was on a hook, and when the building collapsed, the shirt fell on top of him. So that at least told me one thing, that he was killed instantaneously, which small comfort but I, I had this picture in my head at times that he may have been in the kennel just waiting for me to come and 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 die a slow death and not that either one is good but I took small comfort in the fact that he was he, he was killed right away so myself and my trainer uh, officer J- uh, Joe Martin went down to the trade Center and uh, uh, I remember Sergeant Eddie Spinelli brought me over to the uh, site and he, they, there was a black bag there and they had already put him in. They said, well, do you want to see him? And I go, no, I don't want to see him. I want to remember him the way he was. I don't want to see, you know, his bones or anything like that. So then they put him on a stretcher and they proceeded to carry, we, we proceeded to carry him out. And uh, they stopped all the machines that were doing all the digging. There were all the people lined up in in reverence in two rows. And we exited what we called Ground Zero. And at the top was a, uh, a minister or a priest. And he was told that there was a dog inside of the bag. And he spoke of, you know, all creatures, great and small, lost that day in honor of Sirius. And uh, afterwards, we everybody saluted and um, we put him in our emergency services truck. And then the question was, where do we bring him? Because all the bodies were going to this hospital, Bellevue Hospital, but he was a dog. So the, the sergeant told us, no, take him to Bellevue for now, with the, put him with the rest of the Port Authority police officers. That's where he, that's where he belongs. He's one of us. He wears a badge. He's an officer. He did his job like everybody else did that day. So we loaded him up. We started driving around and to all the commands. You know, we went by the Holland Tunnel, path, the bus terminal, Lincoln Tunnel. And everywhere we went, the officers stood out and saluted our truck as we went by. It was quite a sight to see. We get to Bellevue Hospital. They take him out. They bring him inside. And I remember Detective Mickey Dalton comes out with his flag. And he hands me the flag and says, says, I was just talking to the coroner and she's crying like a baby. And I joined her because I had lost it at that point. He says, she has seen so much death and destruction in the last few months. But when she saw this dog, she could not contain it anymore. So... At that point, he was kept there until uh, May. I'm sorry, April, where I was asked if I wanted a memorial service for him. I says, we'll have a service, but only after all the other officers had theirs. I didn't want anybody to think that I held my dog above their family members. And so we managed to get a spot in Liberty State park and we said we'd have nice nice small ceremony with the canine unit well the word got out we ended up having a hundred canine teams from departments all over the country i mean as far west as california as far south as florida you know and and many states in between they sent dog teams from all over we had about 400 other civilians that came just basically dog lovers. And it was it was quite a ceremony. Uh, we got, they presented me the FBI, actually. They had a place in Staten Island uh, where they had brought all the, the vehicles that were found. And they had found my vehicle. And inside was Sirius's water bowl. So the FBI agent took the water bowl and had it inscribed. I gave my life so you could save others and handed it to me at the ceremony. It was one of the most touching things I had ever received in my life. I received the wonderful portrait of Cirus, done by this artist Debbie Stro- uh, Stonebreaker. The, the larger one hangs at our police headquarters and the smaller one hangs in my office. Um, it was, I received so much goodwill from people uh, that day and I'll, that I'll never forget. His remains were given to me. They were put in into a, a beautiful urn. And he currently, if you would, resides uh, in my house next to other dogs that have passed on. But his place is a place of prominence.
0: After the ceremony, what was life like? Did you seek help to help you come to terms with what had happened
1: yes i did actually well that's actually a two-part question i'll answer this part first okay. as part of the um, requirement for me to go back to work our job mandates that i seek some type of counseling myself and others that I, I were involved on that day of course and um, because there was don't forget we also lost 37 of our other of our police officers in a, in a small department we were less than at that time less than a thousand people you know probably closer to 800 to lose 37 officers just to put that in perspective the nypd has 30 28, at the time and lost 23 officers you know which is a large number in itself so a lot of us were suffering from uh, grief and P- ptsd and what have you so yes, and part of my counseling, you know, was you know how I was dealing with the loss of my partner. And my counselor was the one that actually said to me, you, I've listened to some of your speeches, and you always end with, and I lost my dog too, almost as an afterthought. And I explained to him, I said, well, I don't want people to think that I think my dog is more important than their family. He says well, that's true, that's okay, but you have to be able to accept his loss as well. And I started to embrace that because, you know, I people say you could have left the, the trade center and you, with the one life you were responsible for, and nobody would think worse of you. You're in charge of serious and you left. So it was finally when I, I came to terms with the idea of that he was my partner, my friend, my family member that was lost and he was equally important to me as a loss that I started to recover in a a sense. Now, what I did do was also, uh, I received, uh, at least my department received a lot of requests for me to speak similar to what we're doing now except in person obviously. You know, and I traveled around the country basically representing the Port Authority police, different locations and telling people who obviously weren't there that day or had no idea what had happened. One of my, um, I guess, more interesting or or, or better invitations is that the Alaska State Police were naming a dog after Cirrus. And they actually got the funds to fly myself and my family out to Alaska. And while we were there, they treated us to uh, dog sled rides and uh, rides in airplane. I mean, it was a very nice thing. And then while we were there, it was also the time of uh, the Iditarod, which is this uh, uh, race that uh, commemorates um, the Balto, the dog that brought medicine from one city to another. And they had asked the police, "said Do you know anybody that's involved with 9/11 that we could?" fed here. And they said, we have the guy that lost his dog at the Iditarod. And they said, oh, we'll take him. And, uh, I spoke at the musher's dinner there. And I remember this woman that came up to me and she said, I don't know anybody that was killed on that 11, but I've lost a dog. And that's the part of the story that, that got me. It's, it was amazing when I, I The different people I spoke to, if I spoke to police officers, they would relate to me that way. If I spoke to Asians, like uh, that was a big part of things that I did. I was the Grand Marshal at the Chinese New Year parade in San Francisco. Co-Grand Marshal, I apologize. Uh, They had a a Japanese firefighter there also, Zach Vouse. But whenever I spoke to dog people... Right. And that's the way I I, I, I couch it. it's dog people because that's who they are. That those are the ones I got the most emotion out of. And and they're the ones that they were coming, everybody wanted to hug me. <laughs> that was just a thing I guess. And then we caught um I had to get back to work and and I'm I'm um happy to say that I've uh convinced the nine eleven museum to uh further honor uh... serious they're gonna put a permanent exhibit in the in the museum they already have like the shadow box with his leash and that's my holster by the way of course you know that they put in there but this will be a little bit you know on a larger scale than that and um i'm grateful that the museum is gonna honor i i originally wanted them to put his name on the wall next to the, uh, the port authority police officers but Apparently, that's problematic for a few other reasons that we can't get into right now.
0: If that happens, David, I'm definitely going to come to New York.
1: I'll give you a tour.
0: I would love that.
1: You baby. come to New York, I'll give you a tour. All right? Mate, I'm done.
0: Done. That is a deal.
1: Now That means um, that if I come down there, you have to show me around a little bit.
0: That's done. We'll sign that on paper. and um, No ink need. Ink a handshake
1: in. over the sea is good enough for me. Yeah. They actually have an exhibit also for the search and rescue dogs and the therapy dogs that were there. I mean, I don't discount any dog that that does their job, and the therapy dogs, I mean, when you're sitting there after digging for hours and not finding anything, the dog walks up to you and you just pet it. That's enough for for a lot of people.
0: David, there's one other dog I'd like to bring up. Zook.
1: Oh, Zook.
0: Tell me about Zook. Zook.
1: Okay, Zook is um, a rescue. Um, we got him now, I believe it's three years ago. It was kind of interesting. I already had a previous rescue, Leo, who passed away and uh, he was a senior dog, so he was he was only around for a few years, but still so now it's I would say maybe about three or four months post Leo. And I'm uh, on the website for this uh, organization, it's called Labs, the Number Four Rescue. And um, they had this one dog I'm watching, and they show videos of the dogs that are available. And this dog was so so well trained already. like apparently somebody had this dog. and it turns out like like Sirius, it, apparently he had failed uh, training because he had he could heal, he would return. But he wouldn't go in water i was like wow it's just like cirrus <laughs>
0: please tell me zook is not a labrador he is, a is a black labrador
1: lab- retriever
0: there you go two non-water labradors how, what are how the chances? how's that what are the chances mate what are the chances of that <laughs>
1: But he, uh, we call it, uh, He's an integrated family member now. We call it, uh, I enjoy him immensely. I take him to the dog park every day. I'm sure you have dog parks out there, right?
0: We, yeah, we sure do. I live around the corner from
1: one. Oh yeah, we ta- I take him there. He has his regular friends that he plays with and runs around with. I mean, I say, you know, I'm an old man now, so I go there and I talk to the other old men and there, and you know, we have a grand old time. Well, in the good weather, we do. I'm waiting for somebody to bring a bottle and pass it around one day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> David, share with me your favorite memories of Sirius at home with your family.
1: Sirius, he was four and a half years old. Um, he was about a hundred pounds. He was a big dog. His personality was that of a very laid-back dog, a very, uh, almost like a mush. It was at first when we first got him uh, for training. We had to motivate him. You know, he was he was very laid back and you know like he could he wouldn't mind that's like when he's at home you you wouldn't believe he was a bomb dog believe me you know he just lays on the couch and I mean like he won't he doesn't play that much or whatever but uh, he he had a personality that was kind of stunted I believe a lot of these dogs when they are crate raised they're they're not used to the outside matter of fact he was just coming out of his shell uh, just before he died like he just started barking at the door when somebody would come and then we didn't even realize but he has a he had a deep, heavy bark and uh we were like it surprised us one day. We were like, Oh my gosh, that's Cirrus!" And then he would jump up on my wife's lap. Now he thought he was a lap dog, now he's a hundred pounds, you know, and he just <laughs> lay there and my wife be like, Oh, Sirius, get off me <laughs> <laughs> But uh you know, I even to this day when I talk about him, I can visualize it in my head the way he was. And um, I don't know. You know, I didn't have much experience with dogs before Canine, and uh, I tell you though this this program we called made me a believer. Especially when I had you know Lena and Sirius, and hey, just one dog after the other, just got better and better. It seemed. I kind of felt sorry for Sprig because I remember when I was training with Sprig. And um, the trainer went, was watching me, and uh, Tommy was the name. And uh, I'm sitting there, and uh, I'm holding back the dog, Sprig. And he's like, what are you doing? He goes, he says, this is not serious. I was trying, because Sirius was so slow, but he was methodical. He would get every, every area. He, he would never miss anything. But dogs, some dogs, like Sprig, are fast. In other words, they get a, a, a whiff of the odor, and they want to go right to it. He says, you can't train this dog like your other dog. And it hit me because I was so used to Sirius, the way he worked, that I was trying to make Sprig work like Sirius. And it didn't work that way. Because dogs, like people, have different personalities. Some are fast and some are slow. You know? <laughs> but going back to Sirius, though, I don't think there's not much else I can tell about him outside of that he was a beloved member of our family uh i will tell you uh, a quick story about uh sprig though i remember when i bring home and um my son met him he's like oh that's a nice dog and i go yeah and i could tell he really didn't want to get attached to him you know because he already had that i will not call it a fear but he had just lost the dog and he did he, and he was so attached to Sirius that he, he said well he's your dog he works for you fine but then all of a sudden Sprig jumped on the bed his bed and lay down next to him and all of a sudden they were friends you know I was like okay that works i it love was... that
0: david this has been a humbling experience for me i'm so honored that you've come on and shared your journey right throughout this would be on never just a dog podcast
1: well i want to thank you for having me and to give you to give me the opportunity to not only talk to you about my dog but so now that people in australia would know my story mostly outside of the united states was uh china and uh england and i and i understand that you know we could the people of australia they felt what we felt on 9 11 and right but i'm sure there's still people old enough that remember you know it's funny like now we have like police officers on our job that were not alive just barely a babies I should say goes to be a police officer at 21 and for them you know this is part of a history book and if you one thing that's good about history though if you remember it and you re, and like people are big saying here in New York is never forget well now that I've told my story in Australia, hopefully this can be passed on you know in one form or another to generations about what happened on 911. In the United States. And I, again, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you very much.